Before I dive into this episode of Mount Visits, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge and comment on the recent tragedies in Minnesota and across the country. After the death of George Floyd, I would feel irresponsible in putting out media content and not acknowledging what's going on in the country right now. There are too many people hurting at the moment, including many of my friends and family, to the extent that you feel absolutely helpless and you don't know what to do at times, or how you could become a proponent of change. Over the past week, I've taken a lot of time to really take in exactly what was going on and try to listen to as many opinions and voices as possible in order to really understand the complexity of the situation. And what I've personally learned is no matter what your perspective, no matter where you came from, no matter what your background, everyone has a different perspective and everyone has different stories to tell. And unless you take the time and listen and learn from different people, I believe that's the only way to bridge status quo with change. I don't have all the answers, obviously, and I don't think anyone really does. However, I do believe if we act as individuals to better educate ourselves and other people's perspectives, maybe we might learn something. Although communication is a huge part of growing and changing, I don't believe words alone answer any problem that we have right now. Actions speak louder than words, and we really need to pay attention to those who talk a big game but don't have the track record to back those words up. Discussion must lead to action. Otherwise, we're just wasting time. In sports, you see many teams issue statements of support for what's going on right now. But I challenge people to dig deeper into those organizations, into those leagues, to see if they really are putting their money where their mouth is. Do they treat people the same within their organization? Is there internal bias? How are their hiring practices? Are they truly an equal opportunity employer, or do they just hide behind a policy and a boilerplate to appease the public? There shouldn't be a need for a Rooney rule. There shouldn't be a need for a public policy for equal opportunity. It should be in the soul of an organization. It shouldn't be mandated from a third party to hold people in check. Hold yourself in check. Live by your own words. Don't just post them to Instagram to appease the masses. If as an individual or a group or a company or a corporation, you allow biases into your business practice, then you are part of the problem, no matter what you post, no matter what words you use, no matter what you say. Look at the front offices around any sports league, any business corporation. They tell you if they walk the walk. They tell you if they actually believe the words that are coming out of their mouth. Don't be fooled into praising the most eloquently stated statement on social justice, or any other kind of inequality. Vet your owners better. Vet your hiring managers better. If you don't have your own house in order, you're just pandering. There absolutely needs to be better communication and more discussion in this country, but there has to be more action, and it has to be well thought out. And it can't be in the form of a blanket policy. It needs to be practiced from the top down, from the bottom up. It sickens me that some of my former clients, friends, family, mentors, former bosses, are deeply hurt by the events of this week. And to understand this, you need to have the conversations. You need to have the discussion in order to get better perspective of how people feel. Everyone has their own opinions, but opinions are different than feelings. And when people's feelings are hurt or people are offended, they deserve to be listened to, right or wrong. This next episode of Mountain Business is all about taking ownership. And maybe we all individually should take more ownership in understanding some of the issues we have today in society. Just my opinion for what it's worth. Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association don't seem to be close in their negotiations to bring baseball back in 2020. Will there be baseball this year? 
This is the Mom Does It Podcast. So negotiations between MLB and the MLBPA are kind of fascinating in nature. First of all, we're, we're negotiating business structure that is outside the realm of the CBA. The CBA contains language that is agreed upon by both the players and the owners to operate Major League Baseball in a certain way that is fair for both parties. Because the coronavirus outbreak is such a black swan event, and there's no real way of anyone could have predicted this, therefore there's no language in the CBA to bring baseball back in this instance. In March, Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association came to an agreement pretty quickly to outline how Major League Baseball would be brought back. At that point, there was a reason why they came to an agreement so quick, and that's because in the CBA, there's language that gives the commissioner authority to suspend all player contracts and business operations in the case of a national emergency. In this case, it's the coronavirus pandemic. So the worst case scenario for the players at that point was that they could lose salary altogether in 2020, including service time. So it really benefited them to kind of make an agreement where they have a path back to playing. And in that agreement, they agreed to prorated salary and full service time stipulations. But according to Major League Baseball, that agreement was only in the case where there was fans in the stands and it was business as usual. From the player's standpoint, that agreement holds true if there's fans in the stands or not. If the players are playing games, then they are paid for those games per their contract. Now, since March, Major League Baseball owners and the commissioner's office have leaked out information to the media just explaining how much money they're actually losing. Commissioner is on record as saying that the owners could lose up to $4 billion as a collective unit if there was no games played at all. And then 40% of their revenue is on ticket sales, merchandise, concessions, actually fans in the stands when they actually use money while they're at the stadium. The rest of it is TV revenue, radio revenue, and, and the rest. On the surface, this seems to be a very understandable position from the owners. However, we're missing a huge piece of the puzzle here in understanding exactly what the responsibilities of each party is. The responsibility of an owner is to own and operate the team. The responsibility of the players has nothing to do with the revenue of a team. They don't get revenue share. And I think this is something that the public kind of misconstrues a lot. And I'm not really sure why. Um, I've listened to many opinions and some, some have said, you know, because fans are emotionally tied to their team, they tend to side with their team. So they side with the owners over the players. And they see the players as, as someone who is just playing a game for a job and is paying millions of dollars to do that. What you need to do is break down the responsibilities of both parties. When an owner decides to buy a team, he is deciding on his own to buy into a business, to own that business, to own a company. He or she takes on all the responsibilities that go along with that. A business owner, when times are good, benefits from when the times are good. They took the risk of being the owner they take ownership over that entity. If times are bad, they take ownership of it. They reap the rewards and they take the risk. Now, from the player's perspective, they are not privy to any of the reward of owning a club. They don't have revenue sharing. They don't have profit sharing. They are tied to a contract that they duly negotiate with the team for services rendered. 
Additionally, the players are taking on the majority of the health risks involved in playing with the coronavirus still being impacted in our society. At this point, we understand who is high risk in society and who's not, but we also know it's a still a very highly contagious virus that can be spread to others, which means that players also have to sacrifice being away from their family, being quarantined for months on end. So when the owners want the players to take an additional pay cut, remember, they're already taking a prorated pay cut based on the number of games they're played in the season. By the owners asking them to take additional pay cuts, in essence, they are asking them to share some of the risks in owning a major league franchise. Let me explain. According to Forbes, gross revenues for the league were $10.7 billion in 2019, up from $10.3 billion last year, meaning 2018. That marks the 17th consecutive year that MLB has seen record growth. The players in those 17 years did not see any sort of revenue share of that growth. But now that times are not good, now that there's not record revenue pouring into the sport, the owners are now asking the players to share some of that loss. Let's put it this way. The players are not investors or shareholders in their the franchises they play for. They are essential workers. Without them, nothing happens. If they don't play, no baseball is played. From a business perspective, there's a really good blog on Medium by Roger Ehrenberg, who outlines exactly what I'm talking about, where the players do not have ownership stake in these teams, so they don't sh- shouldn't share the same risks as a shareholder or an investor would in this type of situation. He lays out four ways that the owners could, in good faith, make up for the loss of the revenue in 2020. All four ways involve the owners moving assets and money around in order to accommodate the short-term loss. Now, these are more drastic measures, but this is drastic times. And the ownership still falls on the owners. It's their responsibility. It's their risk in owning the team. They profit in good times, and they have to figure it out in bad times. This is not something where the players are investors or shareholders. They did not sign up to participate in risk of a franchise losing money. He goes on to say that this is the way things work in the real business world, the world I've been living in for 30 years. Baseball, however, is different. It operates in a weird area of being a monopoly that is given a free pass on antitrust grounds, which shouldn't impact the analysis, but merely highlights how impervious the owners feel to logic and fairness, even when the right answer is staring them in the face. I really hope someone on the owner's side wakes up and realizes the damages they can do to the game, the partnership with the players, and quite honestly, civil discourse. If America's game can't set an example, to how to deal with adversity, with fairness, class, and equanimity, then where the hell are we really? He's exactly right. Players don't see any benefit from franchises going up. When an owner buys a team for $300,000 and then turns around and sells it 15 years later for $2.5 billion, that is all profit for the owner. The owner assumes the reward of taking the risk of buying a baseball franchise. The owner also assumes the risk of owning a baseball franchise. It works both ways, but it doesn't work both ways for the players. The players are only asked to take a pay cut when times are bad. They are not reaping profits when times are great. So you got to kind of keep these positions in in perspective when you're looking at, you know, whose side are you on the players or the owners? I mean, as from a public perspective, everyone's going to have a vested interest who loves the game and loves watching baseball games and everyone wants baseball to be played in 2020. No doubt. But this isn't about greed. This is about what is fair. And right now, what the owners are asking of the players is not fair because it doesn't acknowledge the fact that the owners own the risk. They're not taking ownership. That's something I'm very big on that I actually model my agency about is that I myself as owner of Madden Sports Group 
the players who I consult with, I expect that both of us take ownership of our responsibilities. Clients as a player, myself as their representation.